Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for a spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can learn more about my work as an intuitive and teacher at karenhager.com, and you can find me on Instagram, where I'm Fog City Psychic, for more Out of the Fog content, photos of Maisie the puppy, because who doesn't love Maisie the puppy, and other little glimpses into my happy, wacky life. Now then, committing to the way of the sacred feminine means making time for silence and reflection, and tending to our inner lives. Christine Walters Paintner is my guest today, and she believes that embracing the wisdom of Mary the Blessed Mother and her many faces is one way to welcome the sacred feminine into our lives. She's here to share some familiar and unfamiliar names of Mary expressed as archetypes that are shared across cultures to open pathways of creativity, healing, and justice. Are you ready to meet her? Christine Walters Paintner, PhD and registered expressive arts consultant and educator, is the online abbess of abbeyofthearts.com. That's a virtual monastery and global community. The Abbey offers online programs and retreats to help integrate contemplative practice and creative expression. Christine's the author of 18 books on spirituality, including her most recent, Birthing the Holy, Wisdom of Mary to Nurture Creativity and Renewal. Christine, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thanks, Karen. It's lovely to be here with you again. (laughs) Again, I know it was years ago, and Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to have you back. This book touches something very personal in me because of my own feeling of a special connection with Mary. Maybe I'll just start by asking, though, what does it mean to birth the Holy into our lives. There's a way of thinking about it where the holy is always with us. So what does it mean to birth the holy? Well, yeah, the whole, I do believe that the holy is always with us. And I also think that we are called to co-create with that divine presence to bring that holiness into its fullness over and over and over again. So birthing the holy for me is saying yes to that call the way Mary did uh, to be in part and to be in partnership with the sacred to be able to see the sacred you know in all aspects of our lives and to also say yes to those creative you know upwellings and uprisings and see them as divine in origin and as contributing to a world of greater compassion and justice <laughs> that invites us to honor things that aren't always on that we don't always take time to honor in our regular lives absolutely absolutely i mean you know this this whole book is about what does it mean to integrate the pathway of the sacred feminine into our spiritual lives and for me that's a multifaceted um question i suppose or task or um set of tools and uh you know and you mentioned a bit about you know spending time in silence and having time to really listen within and certainly that's an aspect of it and we you know have the story in scripture of mary you know pondering these things in her heart and being a, a kind of symbol of that quiet reflection or you know mary is our lady of silence but there's also aspects of the feminine, such as 
um, you know, cultivating a relationship to our intuition. So not always relying solely on our rational, linear planning side of our minds and um, really allowing that more intuitive knowing to take the lead sometimes, especially I think when we're in this partnership with the divine, you know, and it comes through intuition, it comes through body wisdom, it comes through our dream life. Um, You know, there's an honoring in the sacred feminine path of that more feeling centered and that more kind of compassionate way of being in the world that, you know, brings empathy to, (laughs) to our relationship to others and to those that we, that we do other (laughs) to try and understand, you know, their, their life experience. I think the sacred feminine invites us into that relationship in a different kind of way. Um, And that sense of really organic unfolding um, and ripening. So less, less again about planning and list making and achieving, but, you know, really listening to what's arising in my own heart, in my own being and helping to bring that to fruition, trusting that as a sacred message in my life. Um, Yeah. And it's just, I'm, I'm thinking about how, so I grew up Presbyterian and I always say that I was, we were in, in my family, my sister and I were, pres, we were Presbyterian for the donuts because if we went to church and we were good, <laughs> we got donuts afterwards. So I had kind of a sugar-based relationship with, <laughs> with Protestant Christianity. <laughs> um, and then as I got older, I left the church. And as I got older, I had a strong and passionate experience connection with Mary that eventually led me into the Episcopal church. And, and one of the reasons I was nervous about Mary is that the way that I thought of her as a little Presbyterian for the donuts child is that she represented passive femininity. She Mm -hmm. represented cartoon, like kind of cartoon, Uh, sacrifice, right? She represented Mm -hmm. standing there looking like a Barbie with her hands open down at her sides and that we as women were supposed to be like her. The Mary I found in my own experiences and prayer and spiritual life, and certainly the Mary that I find in this book is not that plastic Barbie Mary, is it? No, exactly. I mean, I think that that passive image is certainly one that has been upheld by the patriarchal church as a way to get women to comply. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when we, you know, when we start to dig just a little bit beneath the surface, we find, you know, all these identities of Mary, you know, of, as, you know, the fierce mother and the protector and the one who goes into the underworld with us and the one who, you know, Mary Mother of Sorrows is one of my favorites. And, you know, that, you know, just to really um, enter in with our imaginations to the the sorrows that Mary herself would have experienced, especially, of course, watching her adult son be murdered, you know, and and to have to sit there and be present, you know, and knowing that that experience ripen something in her that allows her then to be present to us uh, in the world, uh, in our own sorrows and our own like devastating losses that Mary has been through it, basically, you know, she, she is human. (laughs) So, yeah, 
she has that experience of of grief and loss, but also power and fierceness and guidance and wisdom and all of those beautiful qualities. And in this book, you're exploring Mary with as an archetype, not as a cliche, which is the plastic Barbie standing, you know what I mean? My glow in the dark light up Virgin Mary nightlight, but <laughs> as, as an archetype that takes some of the power of that story, wherever we meet her across cultures that takes power of that story and, and kind of transmutes that into power in the realm of spirituality, right? Mary, the gate of heaven, woman clothed mm-hmm. with the sun, right? Um, where it, it takes what happened in, in her life as we see it in the documents we have and changes that into something bigger, working on our lives at a deeper level. Yeah, this sense of archetypes, you know, is, uh, you know, something that Jung described as these, essentially these invisible energies that exist across cultures and traditions that show up in our dream life and show up in our, um, you know, in our own imagination and show up, of course, in our storytelling. And there are these kind of imprints on us of, of these different, you know, energies or ways of being in the world. And what archetypes offers to us or invites us into is an, an enlarged, an enlarged way of being and a, a more expansive presence in the world because we don't then just limit ourselves to one sort of face you know I know a lot of for example I know a lot of people who are you know in ministry who are pastors or spiritual directors and and they identify a lot of course with that compassionate caregiver archetype um, and and that is a beautiful thing and there's a lot of gifts in that and it can also be a little stifling if that's your your whole identity, right. right? And so Mary invites us to expand that by considering these other aspects that we all carry within us. Some of us will identify more with than others. Uh, and oftentimes the some of the archetypes we resist may be part of our, our shadow side, you know, that Jung described those parts of us that go unclaimed and that are rich resources for our own you know, spiritual maturity and growth. What, what drew you into this exploration of dig, kind of digging in and, and wanting to find the, when, when you get the book listeners, you'll see that this is um, 31 names of Mary, but also with beautiful poems that Christine wrote, beautiful art. What drew you into exploring it this way? Well, you know, it was, it's kind of a multi-year process and relationship of growing, growing in my own intimacy with Mary, starting, you know, with my mother dying about 20 years ago and discovering, needing to find a new relationship to mother and being drawn to Mary in that sense. But also, you know, that my own ambivalence around her kind of very plastic limited (laughs) depiction in the church and and then I you know and then as I went through my grief discovering you know Mary mother of sorrows and you know Mary who meets us in those places and then um, essentially what happened was about I guess about three years ago I went to Chartres I was invited by the Veriditas um, labyrinth group to lead a retreat there 
and I encountered um, Notre Dame Souterre. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Mary images in that cathedral because, of course, it's Notre Dame dedicated to um, Our Lady. Um, but there is a statue in the crypt. Uh, Notre Dame Souterre means Our Lady of the Underworld. And I just absolutely fell in love with her because I had already been, I mean, I would already been familiar with the underworld journey through my own grief. And I had, um, you know, written about it and, you know, taught courses on what that meant. And I hadn't actually encountered Mary's face um, in that kind of aspect of her. And so I would go down and uh, sit with her in that little chapel and uh, and she's one of the black madonnas you know which are these um you know beautiful depictions of mary all across europe and really across the world but a large number of them are in europe of mary with the dark skin and you know that sense of connection to you know what what maybe white europeans consider to be otherness but i think really is an invitation into that darkness as holy and darkness as birthing place and darkness as um yeah the place of radical transformation and soon after i came back from that trip ave maria press said oh would you be interested in writing a book on mary and i said well as a matter of fact i've been thinking about all these different names that mary carries and you know Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> basically, I, I didn't have to think about it at all. Um, and a lot of it comes also just from my own interest in Jungian work and archetypes and and beginning to, I mean, I chose 31 of her names, but I could have chosen, you know, twice as many if I had wanted to, um, you know, to keep going, <laughs> but I wanted to make it a manageable manageable book although I do have another list that I've already started in case I ever decide to do part two. <laughs> So. Oh, I love it. One of my favorite is Greenest Branch. Mm. And I wonder if you, and especially um, especially in the times that we're going through now, mm-hmm. I wonder if you can say a little bit about Mary as the Greenest Branch, just because she's my favorite and because I'm doing the interview. So that's why. Sure. <laughs> That's perfectly fair. I love that image too, because I have a very um, close uh, connection to St. Hildegard of Bingen, who is the one, the woman who coined this term. Um, so Hildegard was a 12th century Benedictine abbess in Germany. And she, uh, she was a remarkable woman. She did all kinds of things, all, wrote all kinds of things, but she wrote a lot of liturgical music for um, the liturgy of the hours that the cycle of prayers that the the monks and the nuns would pray and she also coined this term veriditas which is a latin word and it essentially means the greening power of god and for hildegard she could see this greening power present and alive all around her in creation. And if you ever go to the Rhine Valley in Germany, you can see this greening aliveness, you know, in every direction. Of course, it's very much here where I am in Ireland too. But it's not just a physical reality, it's also a spiritual reality. So for her, uh, it was also a way to look at the state of the soul. So those of us who are on a, a spiritual path of healing and wholeness, 
there'll be more green greening or veriditas flowing through us. And for her, Mary and the saints and the virtues and the angels, all of those kind of spiritual beings um, were kind of the embodiment of the fullness of that spiritual greening. And in one of her um, pieces of music for the Liturgy of the Hours, she composes a song called O Viridissima Virga, which means O Greenest Branch. And she, you know, has this beautiful poetry, you know, around, you know, you who come forth, you know, from the, the windy blast of the questioning of saints, you know, you blossomed your branches, feel the warmth of the sun distilled in you, a fragrance like balsam. Um, so this beautiful sense of Mary being a guide to our own greening. So one of the questions we could ask ourselves is, you know, where, where do I feel that greening aliveness? And where does that feel blocked in my life? Where do I feel its opposite, that dryness, the aridity that Hildegard also talked about? And of course, for her, the spiritual and the physical were not disconnected. You know, they were intimately intertwined. So our spiritual health and wholeness is intimately connected to our physical health and wholeness. So we can ask that question about the greening of our lives on multiple levels. And then, of course, the physical and spiritual on the individual level is also connected to the cosmic level. So, you know, it's a potent question for our times. You know, are we contributing to the greening and the flourishing of all creation around us? And of course, the answer to that question on a, you know, collective level is, is obviously not. (laughs) So it's, it's a good, I think it's a really rich image for us to pray with, you know, how are we, you know, I, I think for her too, you know, there, you know, how are we depleting ourselves? You know, I think when we physically buy into like the busyness um, of capitalism and productivity and all of that, that we, you know, we're contributing to that um, basically destruction of the natural world when we allow ourselves to slow down and basically embrace these qualities of the sacred feminine, invite in that greening power, we're also then more in harmony with the actual rhythms of creation. And so our lives will be, you know, the the more we speed up, the more we end up shopping, the more we end up driving, the more we end up, you know, basically exploiting, you know, Earth's resources because we're living so mindlessly. So slowing down has a way of really opening up the possibilities for bringing that greening back into our own lives, but also into the the lives of the collective and the cosmos. Mm. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Christine Walters-Paintner. Her new book is Birthing the Holy, Wisdom from Mary to Nurture Creativity and Renewal. You can find out more about Christine and her work at abbeyofthearts.com. Is there a name of Mary in this book that was especially challenging to you, especially difficult to connect with or write about? Um, you know, probably not particularly difficult because I did get to choose. <laughs> you know, because you were the queen other, of it, right? <laughs> there, there were other names that I didn't choose, and of course, if you ask me what one of those was, I'm not sure they would one would come to mind right away. Um, but you know, I definitely. 
definitely some of them I had to pray with a little bit longer to sort of really lean into, you know, what, what was this aspect of Mary for some, you know, for some of them, the, the image really called to me, but I wasn't quite sure why or quite sure what Mary was inviting. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe woman who clothed the sun, um, she who's woman of the apocalypse was one that was slightly more challenging because I, I'm not, I'm not really drawn to apocalyptic energy, even though we're, or imagery, I should say, even though we're clearly living in apocalyptic times. And, and by that, I mean that the root of the word apocalypse means unveiling or to pull back the veil. And, and I, so I think the more I spent time with that, the more I began to appreciate the wisdom that comes in, in that, um, in that imagery and, uh, in understanding, you know, what it is we're experiencing right now. And, and I don't see time as linear. I see it as a, as a circle, you know, nature teaches us that time is always in rhythms and circles and cycles. So it's not, we're not moving to the end times. Well, we might be, but there's always going to be the beginning times that are um, woven together into that. And that Mary clothed with the sun is difficult for me too. And I, I was thinking as I was getting ready to talk to you about one of the aspects of that sun though, is being able to look at what is scary, being able to look at what might seem like an end mm-hmm. um, with, uh, with courage and maybe with that understanding, as you're saying that endings and beginnings are all jumbled up together. Um, one of the things when I got away from my plastic, Mary, one of the things that I love about her is, is that courage in the face of unimaginable loss and sorrow and change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You pulled names from different traditions. So we might be used to thinking of Mary from the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, you drew in Islamic and from the Eastern Orthodox traditions can you say a little bit about, especially if there's anybody listening who's thinking this isn't for me, that's I'm, I'm just in this for the donuts. I don't, I don't know. How, <laughs> how does Mary's presence speak across cultures and ways of looking at her? Well, yeah, it wasn't until I started writing the book that I was actually really aware of how significant a presence Mary was in the Quran. I mean, there's actually more written about her in the Quran than there is in the New Testament or the Christian scriptures, which I found, you know, (laughs) just kind of startling in a, in a delightful way, because it, it meant that there was, it sort of felt to me like an affirmation of Mary's archetypal presence and reality and value, you know, that in, in the Islamic tradition, you know, and in some ways, I would say probably much like more traditional Christian narratives, I'd say there's probably Islamic, more traditional narratives where Mary is much more the image of that kind of docile virgin sort of self. Um, but but she actually has several different names and um, in Islam, so I was I was just sort of delighted by that sense of her appearing again across religious traditions. And then the Eastern Orthodox, um, ha- they have loads of images of Mary, yeah. and um, 
and you know they really revere her uh in some beautiful ways and some some incredible uh incredible imagery of her um so that was really delightful as well and i i'm i think i'm very drawn to that eastern orthodox sort of imagination and way of understanding um yeah christianity from that from a different slightly different perspective slightly more of that eastern perspective uh so yeah it was it was really just a delightful um journey to open this book up even further than so that it didn't become a book that people thought oh this is just for catholics which is not not what i meant it for (laughs) i mean catholics are welcome but so are anybody else who's interested you know in her in that sacred feminine presence and how she appears in these different forms for someone who hasn't met mary in this way or met the sacred feminine in this way how can they begin to to make that connection to give that invitation well, I think, you know, I think there there is a a little bit of a, a kind of a leap of faith that has to happen, a little bit of a trust, you know, in the intuition, in the imagination. But I think if you if you're just willing to give it a little bit, you know, space in your life, I think my experience is that it you then begin to discover how you know, your body knows things that your mind doesn't, you know, or that your dream life gives you symbols and information that your waking mind doesn't. And, and part of the, part of the journey is, is simply to show up and to ask, you know, simply to say, you know, Mary, I want to be in deeper relationship with you. I want to learn what the sacred feminine has to offer to me, you know, can we be, can we have a friendship, <laughs> you know, and, and that it just up in that very simple level of opening your heart um, to Mary or to the sacred feminine and whatever guys you want to address her. And, you know, you could choose one of these 31 names as a place to start, you know, if, as, as a, as a doorway, you know, gate of Mary's gate of heaven. I I like to think of thresholds a lot and Mary standing at that threshold, welcoming you across into this more expansive way of, of understanding and praying and yeah, moving through the world. Mm. I wonder if you can say a little bit about abbeyofthearts.com. What is a virtual monastery? (laughs) <laughs> a virtual monastery is essentially a contemplative community that exists primarily online. So we don't have a physical space. Often when you think of monastery, you think of a, of a building that you would go to um, with monks and nuns. But our community exists more in the imagination. So more as an idea, as a concept and through practice. So we gather together um, in a variety of ways through uh, online retreats and we have contemplative prayer services. Um, Before COVID, we even had some in-person pilgrimages, but those are sort of on hold indefinitely at the moment. But the, the online programs really lend themselves to connect to making this a global community. 
So we have members, you know, who are basically gathered together from all over the world, which is pretty amazing, you know, from Australia to Asia to Europe to the Americas. And um, it's such a gift to, um, yeah, to be able to gather that way. And, And we have a, we actually have a prayer cycle, which some of your listeners might be interested in, which are, is a recording of basically seven days of morning and evening prayer on different themes and the theme we've done three weeks of these prayer cycles and the one we just completed is on mary and the sacred feminine and those are kind of the heart of like how you would pray in a monastic way but done sort of abby style abby the art style meaning um you know with inclusive language and with um you know embracing of different traditions and yeah you know a more sort of expansive perhaps way of praying how can listeners connect with that prayer cycle and get more information about all the good things that you offer well if you go to abbeyofthearts.com there's a tab that says prayer cycle that you click and it'll show you the three different weeks that we've created so far and you can click on any of those and we have audio podcasts, and for two of them, we have video podcasts as well. So my teaching partner, Betsy Beckman, she creates dances for the songs that we use. So wow. if you're someone who wants to enter into the dance of it all, you know, in a way that's guided, um, so there's that option for you. We have a newsletter that you can subscribe to, which you can get daily or weekly or monthly. And um there's a little box that pops up for that. So that's probably the best way to connect and find out, you know, what we're, what we're up to and the programs that we have going on. You suggest that readers use the book. One way to use the book is as a retreat, one name for each day. How, how would we do that? How does that work? Well, I would suggest, you know, taking, you know, committing to say maybe 20 to 30 minutes of prayer each day, either in the morning or the evening, or, you know, you can mix it up depending if your schedule is inconsistent and, you know, basically spending, you know, a little bit of time reading the reflection and, um, uh, there's a section about calling on that name of Mary. So that's sort of more, a little more of an invitation into a, a little bit of an interior journey. So it helps to apply that in your own daily life and then reading the blessing. And then, you know, essentially to carry that image with you throughout your day um, and to notice, you know, are there dreams, are there synchronicities, maybe do a little bit of journaling at the, in the beginning of the book, there's some suggestions for various kind of creative responses that you might do in terms of visual art or writing or movement. So you can really, you know, make it as kind of minimal as you need, or you could expand it out, you know, to like a more full kind of retreat if you were, if you had more time in your day. Christine, thank you so much for being with us. We only, we just scratched the surface. Thank you so much. Thanks, Karen. It's wonderful to be with you again. <laughs> I've been talking with Christine Walters Paintner. Her new book is Birthing the Holy, Wisdom from Mary to Nurture Creativity and Renewal. And you can find out more about Christine, about the book, and about the Abbey of the Arts community at abbeyofthearts.com. Click on that prayer cycle tab to see some of the new uh, prayers. 
that have been created. And you're always welcome at karenhager.com. It's a good place to find out about upcoming classes and events. And you're always welcome to book a private session with me if it feels aligned. If you are looking for intuitive guidance on your own spiritual journey, if you are looking for insight that comes from a deeper place that helps you find those deeper places, you're very welcome to book a session with me. You can use the coupon code podcast when you're booking to save 20%. It's my way of thanking you for listening to the show and telling your friends because you, you are telling your friends, right? About the podcast. Here's how to use that coupon code. You go to karenhager.com, click the book a reading button, choose a session of any length, enter your name and email address, Now, here's the fun part. Are you ready? Click the green box that says have a coupon code. You do. It's podcast. Type in podcast. You'll see the 20% off applied at checkout. And thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world. And a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.